Hey, Ryan. The missing man. We are all very excited to uh, see you alive and well for all this adventure and especially all the exciting uh, shit that's gone down the last 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I mean, I see everybody kind of filling up the chat. I see that's that's great. I, yeah, I mean, let me say right off the top, I really appreciate everybody that's reached out over the last day and uh, see some messages on Twitter too. I haven't really been on there much, obviously, but um, I appreciate that and uh, means a lot to me. And you know, we'll see what happens. I, I unfortunately, you know, I don't know much about what's going on. I know about as much as anybody else, so. I don't want to spend too much time on that tonight. I, what I'm really excited about is talk about John Durham. And, uh, man, what a bombshell filing that was last night. Yeah, for sure. But uh, just so you know, there were a lot of people that were really concerned about this whole thing. And, you know, I think we've all been really considered, concerned about Twitter and a lot of the uh, silencing of people and uh, free speech rights. And then Elon coming on with this, you know, buying a big chunk of the company yesterday was like, wow, how could all this be happening at once? And it's all really interesting that uh, it kind of went down like this, but uh, yeah, the Durham stuff, a lot of exciting stuff. And uh, I think it's, there's more to come. It seems like. Yeah. I mean, I see you got a couple questions on the thing. So just real quick, I'm just going to do like 30 seconds on it. So uh, I did appeal uh, I got the appeal this morning. It was denied. Uh, as of right now, I'm permanently suspended from Twitter. Uh, the initial indication was I was being suspended for sharing personal information. Uh, based on my first appeal, it came back and they stated that I was waging a campaign of uh, targeted harassment or something like that, or not a campaign. I don't even know. Like, I, I don't know what the tweets were. Um, I don't know the rationale. They didn't actually say anything. It's more like an automated thing. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, guys. I got, a, I got another appeal out there. I don't know. I don't see it coming through. So I'll be around. It's not a big deal. Um, I've got avenues to, to share some FOIA documents that are coming, and, and we'll, we'll get through it. So I appreciate it. And, yeah, let's talk about John Durham, man. So I was, like, hanging out late last night, and all of a sudden I got that, that – email come through notification that those filings hit and man 48 pages and it was just fire from like start to finish i couldn't believe everything that was in there and you know i hope we get a couple of lawyers on tonight because i really want to get their take on kind of what durham laid out so there's there's obviously the conspiracy right and and i think hans mentioned like he durham wrote like conspiracy like 26 times or something in this in this filing and that's you know very indicative of what he's driving at in my opinion i mean he's he's laying it out but he, he does make the point like it's a different standard so he's not filing a conspiracy in the criminal sense it's a conspiracy under agency law and um you know people are working together towards common purposes that doesn't mean there's criminal intent but it certainly seems like it's trending that way and and you know we're getting this motion to compel filing tomorrow and I think that's a game changer and I I kind of see what Durham's driving at I think and he's he's filing this motion to compel under the court and the court's going to grant him a, a wide level of leniency right if they're saying it's relevant to the proceeding you know the court's got to give that 
you know, they got to provide the evidence, uh, both to the prosecution, but also to the defense. And we saw that throughout the Alpha civil case where they were just claiming blanket exemptions and they were just saying, no, it's all like uh, privileged materials in anticipation of litigation or, or whatever it is, prep for litigation. And, you know, with the civil case ending, obviously we never got to flush that out, but here we are. And it seems like Durham's kind of seeing the exact same thing that the Alpha people were, where they're just claiming like blanket exemptions over documents. And he's fighting the Clinton campaign. He's, he's fighting Joffe, it sounds like. And what I'm amazed is how strong that filing was and how clear it was that Durham's really got a big case here, but he also still needs these documents. And whatever it is that Clinton and others are holding on to that they've been fighting this long to protect, it's going to be damning, right? I mean, this is not, this is not like your vaccination records. Like, this is going to be serious stuff that is going to be kind of like the dagger through the heart, I think. I mean, I think, you know, a couple more crimes here and, you know, Durham's already established that they're, they're working towards a common purpose. If there's a couple crimes, I mean, that's, you're, you're talking about charging a criminal conspiracy at that point. And, you know, that's game over right there. I'm really surprised we didn't see more in the media. I did see several stories. I saw CNN covered it, uh, at least online and, and some of the others. So that's good. But Man, I, I think once those criminal charges start dropping, I, I hope they, they jump on board. So I don't know, MB, if you want to share some of your thoughts, but some of your reaction. I think yeah, King's here, too. I want to get him. Yeah, we got to get him up here. The, the legal stuff is just really fascinating. Uh, did see Margot, or heard rather, but it was on Fox Business. Uh, Margot Cleveland was on this, uh, this evening earlier and uh, kind of hit all the high points. Um, and I think I caught the the end of uh, Andrew McCarthy was uh, talking about as well on, on Fox News. So it is definitely we're getting to the point where you can't bury this stuff and it can't be swept under the rug because there's just, you know, that that email that uh, Durham introduced that was you know, that that is a bombshell. That is everything that Sussman's defenders have been laying out about him, you know, never, never saying that he had uh, that 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 he didn't have a client. That's proved a lie. He, he's, his defenders have been lying and, and they've, and, you know, you can hold that up and go, all right, uh, you said that uh, what you've been uh, indicted for never happened. Well, you wrote a text message to, I'm sorry, it was a text message. You wrote a text message to uh, James Baker the night before saying the lie that you've been indicted for. So how, how are you going to defend yourself against that? Yeah, I, I thought that was a strong point and, um, I think a few people have pointed this out. Um, you know, this seems to be related to Horowitz and what Horowitz turned over here just a couple of months ago and not looking too good on Horowitz. I saw Margot made that point in her interview tonight as well. Um, apparently these cell phones have been sitting on a shelf for, for a while now and these text messages just emerged. I did see, I think in the finally they noted it was a personal cell phone, so I'm a little bit unclear about whether it was one that Horowitz had or not, but... I'm really surprised if it if it didn't come from Horowitz. I guess I'm surprised that we didn't hear about it because that is kind of the stronger piece of evidence because like Empty Wheel, like the main point she was making about this was, oh, you're going to put uh, Baker up on the stand and he's changed his testimony all these different times. And now we have the hard truth, right? It's right there, black and white. Uh, he's lying. And 
you know, you can't really defend against that. So uh, I thought the, like the Durham finally was really strong. I also thought the defenses finalists were really weak. I mean, they seemed really desperate. They, they seemed maybe they were blindsided, which shouldn't be the case, but um, like everything they were motioning for, Durham basically pre-budded with his, with his filing. I know they filed at the same time, but like Durham was anticipating everything and he hit all the major points and he, he just kind of layered it in, I thought really brilliantly. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And uh, I think King is probably gonna be the best one to speak to that, to how, how well the defense uh, at least is going to try to play this thing and get, get their uh, motions in that they want. Um, but I, I agree that the, uh, it's got to be really hard for them to overcome a, a text message that is absolutely 100% saying this is what we said he he said. And obviously he did because it's it's a black and white. And the thing that I, I was really interested in was uh, that that's a text message, but that still counts as lying to a government official to lying to a, a, an FBI official. Um, and that is just as bad. That's equivalent to what he told him in his office face to face. I think that's the case. And I was even and wondering, I was even if, wondering that would, if that would constitute a separate count, if that would count to like another false statement charge potentially. But King, if you want to jump in, man, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And I'm going to jump in by getting, telling you a personal experience and what it's like to be a trial lawyer in one of these cases. I started last night with the brief that Sussman filed uh, in which he addressed he, 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 the, the notes of Priestap and Trish Anderson, the, the two sets of uh, handwritten notes that, Sussman, uh, that uh, Durham is going to use or try to use to basically beef up Baker's testimony. You recall we learned earlier in this case that Baker was not all that strong, at least initially, as to what had been said one-on-one -on -one when he met with Sussman. But he had, as a backup, the two allegedly contemporary, contemporaneous notes written by Anderson and Priestap that Durham told the court and us that they, you know, certifiably and for sure backed up uh, Baker's vague memory and let him for refresh himself as to what had actually been said. Well, <clears throat> Sussman filed a motion yesterday that I was the first brief I read. And it took, it laid into both note takers, Anderson and Priestap. And he quoted their interview notes and their testimony that basically they were worthless. They, they, neither one had a recollection of when they'd written the notes, what the circumstances were, what the date was, who even had told them the information that was in the notes. It might have been Baker. It could have been somebody else. I don't, gee, I don't know. I'm not sure. And, and Sussman and his lawyers rightly took the, the position that this is the, these notes basically can't be authenticated. You can't use that kind of testimony to 
come up with contemporaneous notes uh, to use to uh, either refresh Baker in his memory or to uh, back up what he says happened at, at the meeting. And it was a strong brief and really did a good job of pointing out how miserable of witnesses those two were and add that to Baker, you get this, the real sense that you've got three ex-FBI people who would rather be anywhere else but on the witness stand trying to convict Michael Sussman. And I felt, oh, I, how I felt sorry for Durham and his legal team because I've been there. I've had I had a case back when I was trying these kind of cases uh, where I was trying to authenticate a document. The witness was not in my camp, but he was he had taken the notes, and and I got that kind of testimony, the kind of testimony that Sussman described in his brief. I got that kind of testimony out of the witness, and and. He fought me and hedged and dodged. And finally, the judge says, um, uh, Mr. King, you've, I think you've got as much as you can out of this witness. Do you have anything else to talk to him about? No, this is that I need to authenticate. I offer this document. Uh, objection sustained. Call your next witness. And I could see just in my mind's eye. Durham going through that horrible experience. And then I read Durham's brief and read about the text message. And it's like manna from heaven uh, to, a, to a trial lawyer, what he stumbled into, probably from um, uh, the IG. The... Stepping back from all the briefs, Durham, I'll call his, I'll call his brief an omnibus brief because it covered everything uh, A to Z as to what he was going to address yesterday, with one exception. He pushed off until tomorrow the uh, privilege issue. He wants to... Uh, file a brief and a motion tomorrow to attack the assertion of privilege by Jaffe and by the Clinton campaign to, one, get some documents he already has unredacted, and two, maybe get some more documents produced, and three, avoid having witnesses uh, on the stand in front of the jury assert privilege. Uh, everything else he addressed, including laying out what his case looks like. And it's pretty powerful. Um, I'll give you my views as a trial lawyer uh, in a minute. But um, number one thing that jumped out of me is his approach on uh, what he's going to do with the data and the white papers. He, he used the word conspiracy several times. 
and at first blush, that sounded like he was he was going to go there. He's going to go where every all of us have been waiting for him to do: prove up a criminal conspiracy to defraud the FBI uh, involving the Clinton campaign and Jaffe and others. Uh, but he made clear in his brief that's not where he's going. He cited a case out of the D.C. Circuit, which held that in the D.C. Circuit, this is not universal, but other circuits that hold differently. But the issue is the an exception to the hearsay rule. It's standard. It, it, it's been a rule forever. And when they finally codified the federal rules of evidence, they put it in the uh, in the rules that an exception to hearsay is uh, communications produced by members of a conspiracy to 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 get that accepted by the court that there was there was a conspiracy and the communication was by a member of the con- conspiracy and and it's and the communications related to the aims of the conspiracy they have to com- use they have to through independent evidence that is you can't use the document itself or the communication itself you have to use other independent separate evidence to prove there is a conspiracy prove what it's goals or object is and if you can show that then hearsay no longer applies as to documents and other communications produced by the members of the conspiracy that on the face of it sounds like he's going to prove up his conspiracy case this case though he cites in the dc circuit he made very plain that's not where I'm headed. In the D3C circuit, conspiracy is, is a term of art that can include joint ventures or other uh, groups that have a common purpose or working towards a common purpose. And here he says this group involving Sussman, the uh, Perkins Cooey, Jaffe, and the Clinton campaign all had a common purpose to uh, use whatever oppo research they came up with to present to the FBI and to the media uh, to tar uh, Donald Trump and get great publicity. That was their purpose. It doesn't have to be criminal, uh, just that they uh, they were semi-organized with a purpose. And he's going to show that, with, and he kind of alluded to it in his papers, he's going to show that with the uh, use of Perkins Coie and uh, Elias as kind of the middleman in the communications uh, string. Uh, Elias would get a get an email from uh, Jaffe, say, and he would then pass that on to the other members of the group uh, to keep everybody up to date 
as to what each was doing uh, to fulfill the common purpose. So he's going to prove kind of a joint venture to create this narrative. And that's how he's going to pitch it to the court. And he says that gives him the right then to introduce these emails and other communications, maybe texts, I don't know, but certainly emails amongst uh, the, the Georgia Tech people, Jaffe, the Clinton campaign, Steele, Fusion, all of them, uh, as uh, evidence that he can use against Sussman to show what the game was. Well, I think you made a lot of good points there, and I guess I kind of want to jump in to kind of frame up this next question for you. Um, you know, we're talking about a case in Michael Sussman's instance where they're going to trial or they're trying to go to trial here in about five to six weeks. So they're really under time pressure to to get some of these documents. And Durham, uh, certainly, I mean, he's got this motion to compel tomorrow. And he, you know, for whatever reason, whatever the purpose or, or you know, the excuse is, uh, still hasn't gotten uh, some of these documents and he hasn't gotten documents unredacted that he wants. And so he's got this motion to compel tomorrow. Um, but in the case or the instance that, you know, right now we're talking about a non-criminal conspiracy, but they are talking about uh, Joffe, they're talking about Clinton, and they're talking about Sussman working in concert towards a common goal. And now we're going to have Sussman lying about that and potentially being convicted of a crime in furtherance of that goal. So to go from here to a criminal conspiracy, I mean, are we talking maybe one more crime? Maybe if we find Joffe did something wrong or a Clinton official lied on, under congressional testimony? Because I, I can think of at least one that did lie yeah. under congressional testimony. I mean, how much more, I mean, it seems like the, the standard's actually pretty thin to go from where we are right now and what Durham's going to prove, if he can prove it. I don't want to make that presumption. But if he can prove what he's doing right here for Sussman, to go from there to a criminal conspiracy that he's going to charge and bring to court, you know, could you talk a little bit about what that kind of standard would look like? There, there is one element missing for for from what he's going to try to put on against Sussman. And that is that the object of the, the group, the, 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 the goal of the group was to commit a crime. And there are a couple of possible crimes that, you know, are candidates for a, a, an object that would turn this non-criminal conspiracy into a criminal conspiracy. Number one being uh, to submit false evidence to the FBI. Another would be to uh, otherwise make false statements to the FBI. As Sussman did, uh, he, he, if, if he could pin Sussman's lie to the FBI on others in the group, he could. It doesn't take a big stretch 
to convert this joint venture into a criminal conspiracy. That is, if others in the group put Sussman up to lying about who the client was, that makes it a criminal conspiracy. The, it's, the more powerful case would be if others in the group knew that what Sussman was passing on to the FBI was false and misleading. Uh, that would make it a criminal conspiracy. Fascinating. See, this is the stuff I was going to miss if I wasn't on Twitter. So I, I really appreciate everybody coming tonight. <laughs> so it, 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 and, and, but it, it does give Durham thinking strategically. It gives him the ability to show others in the group others who might be his targets that look, I've got this evidence that ties everybody together in a nice little package. And all I'm missing is that one additional element that what you were trying to do was submit false, a false story to the FBI. And I've got that with Danchenko. If I can show anybody else in this group knew what Jen Danchenko was up to and steal. Uh, I've got you in a conspiracy case. I mean, there, there are so many avenues and nuggets from this filing. It's just massive. I, I thought it was pretty clear that Dagan is cooperating with Durham. I think that was uh, pretty clearly stated in there. And that, that would make sense because we have some documents from FOIA where Dagan is forwarding uh, chat logs to Durham and he's kind of volunteering them so it would seem that Dagan is probably cooperating so I think that's probably important um, I think there was an allegation today and I don't know um, how significant it was or how much merit there was that Steele might be called as a witness I, I don't know if anybody wants to comment on that I, I did not actually get to look at that at all um, let me I, I think I can the um... That was actually raised by Sussman in his brief. Uh, one of his briefs says that one one witness, at least, that does, that Durham plans to call, that, that Sussman's team characterizes as tangential, uh, but one witness has been given immunity, and possibly a second second one will and points to the fact that Durham has cited uh, Steele's testimony in the UK court. I didn't read that as uh, an indication that Steele for sure will be one given immunity and two, be a witness against Sussman. The only uh, relevant information Steele would have in the Sussman case would be uh, apart from helping to develop this uh, joint venture concept would be the fact that Steele uh, was tasked by Sussman to look into the Alpha Bank story and add to it uh, and Steele met with Sussman early on, on that point. 
But I don't think Steele and Sussman were the only two in the room. I think Elias was there too. And I believe he's the one that Sussman's talking about as having been given immunity. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I'd be curious to see what happens with that. I you know, from everything I've read about Durham, I mean he doesn't he doesn't like to give immunity and he doesn't like to do plea deals unless he, he really needs something. And I mean, from the sounds of it, he's got such a volume of documents. I don't know how much he would actually need in testimony. I, I understand it would be important. It would be something he would like to have. But, you know, we're talking about Joffe and Clinton fighting this hard to, to hide documents. Whatever's in those documents is going to be damning. Like, Durham might not need anything from Rodney Joffe after after that. He might, he's, he's not going to need anything from Joffe. But he, you, you cannot... Uh, try a case like this just with documents. Mm-hmm. You you need live witnesses to tell the story. And uh, his his story is going to be told by somebody from the FBI, um, one or more agents from the FBI about the investigation, what you look at, what they were looking at, and how this lie screwed him up he's going to want to tell the story about the meetings with the press and i think uh elias is going to be a pretty key witness on all of that as well as the uh and then then there's the uh, the the dns data and other evidence that he turned over to the FBI. That is the white paper. He's got to have somebody explain all that to the jury. And that would be, my guess is uh, the uh, researchers. Yeah, I mean, I could certainly, I think Dagan, I think we're pretty clear, is probably cooperating. I think Manos could probably uh, wind up cooperating as well. and. I think their testimony would be important, obviously. We have these text messages uh, that have been cited where um, they want to establish a narrative and, and an inference and the data that supports this secret comms channel between Trump and Putin. So that, obviously, we have that in text messages, whatever they're saying in person or in encrypted communications that are probably long gone yeah. is going to be really important, too. So having those guys testify might, might be really important. One thing that's mentioned in Durham's papers is that he, he planned, and I think this was mentioned at the status conference uh, a week or so ago. He says he's going to have an expert to basically teach the jury what, uh, what this DNS data is all about. Nothing more than a, a summary or a kind of a, cliff notes on what it is these guys were doing, what they were doing it with, and what its importance is to an investigation. Uh, He says that same expert will be available if uh, Sussman wants to take on the, the issue of whether whatever they gave the FBI was legitimate and 
real as opposed to cherry pick and uh, designed to present a false narrative. He's going to have somebody there who can both teach the jury about DNS data and be there if necessary to rebut any any claim by Sussman that this what they gave the FBI was really hard evidence and legitimate. Yeah, and I mean it's it's funny to to consider. I mean we we talk about all this DNS data and everything else, but the actual charged crime is just lying about him not representing a client. So we're getting we get so far into the weeds because Dermas put so much into discovery and he's putting so much information into this case um, with hundreds of thousands of pages of, of documents. And it, I mean, he's going to show why this allegation was important or why it was material. Um, and if, if Sussman had told the truth, then the FBI would have had the chance to, to ask um, about all these different characters, right? He's going to ask about Joff. He's going to ask, you know, they would have had the opportunity to ask who these people are, what their motivations were, where they got the data from. And because Sussman lied, they didn't get the opportunity to do that. So, I mean, the, the actual case seems really clear cut now that we have this, this text message. I mean, he, he lied. So he, he, he lied and about it, the materiality. He not only lied, there was a, a motive, a real solid motive for the lie. And that is, he didn't want the FBI to know who was yeah. really behind this, because their plan was not to present the FBI with good, solid case that there was Russian collusion, but just to get the FBI to open a file so they could take that fact to the press. And that's what they did. Well, not and only that. <laughs> When Sussman brought these allegations to Baker, he gave them three names of cyber researchers that he was talking to, and he didn't he didn't lie about it. He said Matt Blaze, he said Stephen Bellman, and he said Susan Landau, and those three individuals appear to have some role in analyzing this data. But um, the more prominent figures is Rodney Joffe, Manos, and, and Dagan. So, I mean, that's a a pretty clear attempt at obfuscating like the primary people that were actually compiling this data, which Sussman certainly knew as well. So I think that's a kind of an interesting point that'll, that'll obviously come up in testimony as well. Yeah, uh, it, it, he, Sussman, I mean, uh, Durham made it clear that's where he's headed. Uh, when in his, his, uh, his brief does an excellent job of basically laying out how he intends to prove his case point by point. And a lot of it is going to be involved with proving up how the members of the the, the cabal <laughs> I mean they were what they were all about was getting a narrative built that they could take to the press and that Hillary could tweet about. Yeah. One of his exhibits is going to be the tweets coming out of the campaign October 31st when it hit the, all the uh, when the headlines hit about this uh, corrupt back channel that Trump had with uh, Putin. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really hard for them to, to show that they're not part of a even a non 
non-criminal conspiracy when Hillary's tweeting out, you know, statements from Jake Sullivan that's like verbatim what they're they're putting together behind the scenes. So I think I think Durham's got a strong case. I see we have Walkfire, Monsoor, Fool Nelson. If you guys want to jump in, I'd be curious to see, you know, if you guys have any reaction to the filings or anything you're thinking about tonight as well. I have a couple of legal questions for King. Um, there you go. One about, you know, this, the obviously the text message. Um, I, how is it that uh, the Sussman team seems completely caught off guard about this, right? Like this entire time they've been talking, arguing about materiality and all this nonsense. Um, you know, given like the discovery and the behind the scenes discussions, how does it just appear like, I mean, even if you read their replies today, it's like they're talking about stuff that it just seems like they weren't even prepared for this possibility unless I'm like misreading it. Um, and then I've got a second question about the steel uh, statements testimony, but, but I guess we could just go on the, the text first. On the text, I I think um, that text just just list watching the Sussman defense evolve. They originally uh, their their original focus was on Baker's memory, Baker's reliability, and saying that Sussman did lie, and the authenticity and the reliability of the notes and the note takers that kind of backed up Baker. That was their initial focus. Right. And it's clear at that time they did not know about the text and I'm not sure Durham did. Okay. And, and my guess is that Durham found out about the text when he got into it with uh, Horowitz about right. the, the phones. So that would have come in when? February? January, February. That's when Durham learned about it. He It may have taken him some time to to pull, to to, to uh, recover the text from Baker's personal phone. Mm-hmm. So my theory is that the text is relatively new to the case. Uh, right. But like, for example, in the Sussman reply or somewhere, <clears throat> um, there's like, you know, they're talking about conversations that they've had with uh, the special counsel, like, you know, either just last week regarding Jaffe still being like a target. Uh, and he's going to take the fifth and like another conversation. Uh, well, for example, like the next question I'm about to ask about the steel statements, they're talking about. Um, they said that they just got wind of this on March 11th of this year. So, you know, like some, like, I guess what I'm saying is even if Durham picked it up, like you said, relatively late, wouldn't he have notified the defense team like before he made this filing today or not? He should have. And, right. and my, my guess is he, he did, but it, it, it came late. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, you know, because the the text has nothing to do with materiality. It it only relates to whether Sussman. Lied. Obviously, yeah. 
Um, that's what I mean. Like it seems like Sussman just wasted like month of, you know, building this defense around the materiality. Uh, well, it, it, he still has that defense. Yeah. Well, material, materiality is his only defense now. Is this? It is. Am I on? Is this thing working? Yeah. Yes. Okay, sick. Well, I was just going to ask like one question. So like on the indictment, I don't think that obviously I don't think they mentioned like this text, but like, would you even have uh, if when you're filing the indictment, obviously they mentioned like uh, testimony or and stuff from pre-staff and whatnot, but uh, or maybe they didn't. I can't even remember now. But can you sneak like obviously you have to turn this stuff over in in um, discovery, but can you sort of like uh, only show part of your hand like until you really have to show your hand? You know what I'm saying? Because it seemed like 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 you guys were saying, like initially it was like, oh, they're talking about Baker as a witness and pre-staff and Anderson. And then all of a sudden you get this text message where it's just like, all right, we have we have your text like. Yeah, they. One thing you have to uh, give up, and I'm not sure what the court's deadline on this would be, but you have to produce statements that you're going to use by the defendant. Right. So this was this would uh, be one of those. So I mean, uh, to to me, like it says, it's his personal phone. Which I mean, we were talking about this in DMs, and it's like. I know they said they got FBI phones from the OIG and this says personal phone. So like, I mean, even in the beginning of this indictment, like I didn't think it was that like uh, um, open and shut, you know, I thought it was kind of a weak indictment in the beginning until I see this text. So I was thinking that like, maybe they knew they had this sitting there for a long ass time and they knew they could wait to the end of the statute of limitation, just be like, all right, indict him now with this text message. And some witness testimonies, but it's 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 pretty open and shut case now, um, except for I guess materiality, which is their only argument they have now. Because like you guys are saying, it, it their defense sort of evolved, and I'm wondering if they they slowly sort of introduce this text message, if you can even do that. Because I know, I guess you kind of introduce um, discovery. I don't know how it's actually introduced if you if you can do it slowly or not, but seems to me like uh, I feel like they had this in their back pocket, but I could be completely wrong. It could be they got it from the OIG, but that seems like that's Durham getting super lucky, which I don't think they would have gone forward with it. I feel like I feel like Durham probably has like a lot in this back pocket about Danchenko, too. I mean, I don't I don't know if you have to put everything in the indictment, but which I think they already argue you don't have to put everything in the indictment, even about materiality. I think Shaw argued that. And no, yeah. You don't have to put right. much of anything in the indictment, uh, particularly yeah. as the materiality. So uh, for me, it looks like they had this in their back pocket and now they're showing it to the world. Like, uh, do you want to cop a plea now or what do, you, what do you want to do? But it seems like his lawyers are content to argue materiality. Uh, I, I, Durham does not strike me as being the hide the ball type prosecutor. Uh, yeah. he, he's more of an open, open file person. So yeah, I, I, classified. Uh, no, yeah, that's not. I, that is, I don't that think that not, could be classified. That's that definitely not. Sent to a personal phone. No. Um. So yeah, I, I guess just go back to Mansoor. I know he had a question about steel or something. Yeah, King. Okay, so this is my second question about 
And this is kind of like a discovery cutoff question. So um, I'll read you here from, this is uh, Sussman's reply and they're complaining. Uh, special counsel also indicated during telephone call March 11th, they intend to introduce evidence argument pertaining to reports and info from Christopher Steele provided to FBI, i.e. the dossier. Okay. Um, special counsel also produced witness statements for Steele pursuant to uh, 18 U.S.C. 3500, uh, which is like demand for production. Uh, presumably because SC seeks to call Steele as a witness at trial, blah, blah, blah. But then he goes on. Um, special counsel has produced neither discovery nor 3,500 statements nor any other information that prove as much. Indeed, uh, as counsel has uh, hasn't produced hardly any discovery regarding Steele at all. And then lastly, and which seems most important to me, and this is where my question comes in, uh, to the extent special prosecutor uh, now has changed course or intends to change course and introduce this, he has failed to comply with discovery obligations uh, per this court's order that all discovery materials subject to 18 U.S.C. 3500 and Giglio be produced by March 18th. Okay. So well, um, is there an exception to that or like what's going on? I, I tried to read over 183500. I, I don't get it. I've read that as differently from the Sussman lawyers. I've read that as Steele is not going to be a witness. That's why uh, I'm asking for an exception because when I read like the the statute, it says, you know, any prosecution brought by United States, no statement or report in their possession uh, shall be subject to subpoena, uh, subpoena or inspection until said witness has testified on direct examination in the trial. So, like, how do they get that in without him testifying? But it, uh, by local rule, you can the, the, the court can move those the date for Jenks material and giglio material up so that the defense can get them in advance and i think that's the way they've been working this case he's got they had a uh a a that that actually i think there's been some reference that uh durham was uh producing that material well in advance of the trial uh and when they did that huge dump yeah, as part of the dump. And because his, the attorneys are stating that they've got no discovery, no hint of this until like well, uh, that's, March that's, 11. And and if if he really intend, if Durham really intended to call Steele as a witness, uh, Sussman's right. He's missed some deadlines. But I don't. I I think that because yeah, that's why I think there has to be some kind of exception also, and he's not going to testify. Because that doesn't sound right to me either. Like, no, I, I don't. I, I took it to mean just the opposite. He is not going to testify, but his report is relevant and it's going to be used because of uh, proof of what the cabal was all about. That's what I'm getting at. Like, can it come in under like a similar hearsay type exception to to prove yeah. like the? That's that's one of the schemes. documents. It would come in as non hearsay if he can prove independently that there was this concert of actors, uh, this cabal 
Because if you read like paragraph one, like the opening paragraph where they're talking, where uh, Durham is talking about, here's like A, B, C, D, the things that we're asking in Lemony to to introduce or exclude. They go over like, you know, three or four different uh, categories. And there's like, you know, emails. There's like, I forget what else there was, but they don't actually, they don't list like the, the this weird one that Steele would fall under. So it's really confusing. But but yeah. anyway, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they have not produced evidence that would allow them to put Steele on the stand yet, and 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 if if they try to now, I don't, I don't think it's timely. I, I agree with Sussman, but uh, I don't think they want Steele as a witness. I think I they want him as well. I don't want him as a witness either. <laughs> no, I, 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 they they want Elias to testify about what. Steele and Sussman talked about in Elias's office. Yeah, I don't. I don't want Steele as a cooperator. I want him in, in the chair. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I just I, th- I think they're misreading Sussman's lawyers are misreading what Durham where Durham is going, and it it kind of becomes more clear when you read Durham's uh, uh, his his description of what his case is going to look like. Which I, by the way, I recommend that everybody read that brief. It it it's the most complete thing he has filed as to what his case looks like and how he's going to prove it. Yeah, I can't agree more. I, I'm just going to read it for a third time tonight. It's just every page you find something new, and it's it's so hard to key in and on everything because it's so much information in there. Now let let me. As an aside, as a trial lawyer who, who's dealt with this kind of thing, a case like this is a real challenge to present to a jury without putting them to sleep, without getting them lost, completely lost, uh, without seeing you know, 11 out of 12 of them falling asleep after day one. So it, it's... It's not an easy case to present, and he may have to cut some <laughs> out or simplify it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's hard. Couldn't you say? I mean, the lie is pretty evident now. I mean, there's no ambiguity about it. Sussman did lie, and I think to Fool's point, the only issue now is materiality. And I think, I mean, the threshold that Durham has laid out in some of his filings, you know, it doesn't have to have an impact, and that that's been something that. Sussman's lawyers have continually said, despite Durham refuting that pretty pretty clearly, I mean, it doesn't actually have to have an impact on any decisions that were made. It just has to have the ability to impact those decisions. And clearly, I mean, if Sussman had told them that he was working on behalf of Hillary Clinton and Rodney Joffe, and they had known that this individual, Rodney Joffe, who they have a long relationship with, was the source of this information, they would have called him up and they would have asked him, like, hey, where'd you get this? What are you looking at? And, you know, if they had known that it came from Hillary Clinton, they would have viewed it much more harshly. I mean, uh, but they, they would have asked, I assume he's going to have an agent to take the stand who said, if I'd have known this was the campaign behind this, I'd have immediately considered 
you know, tabling it until after the election. I mean, and in that, that, at that point, it seems like the case is won. I mean, the lies yeah. clear, and then the right. materiality is a little bit subjective. But I mean, I guess it'd be hard for a jury to say no, that's not material. If the FBI agents on the stand saying, "Well, yes, if I had known that, we wouldn't have investigated this before the election, or we wouldn't have done these steps," or and or the, I might have told Sussman. Another thing, another option would be to tell Sussman, no, there's not enough here for an investigation. I'm shutting my file. So they can't go t- run out of my office to the New York Times. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was a weird thing. And I, I think Techno, I mean, he had, he always does outstanding analysis, as everybody knows. And I think the point that, one of the points that he made today was, you know, the Sussman attorney, attorneys are going to argue that um, they were just trying to, you know, Joffe's going to have some exculpatory information if he's allowed to testify and saying that him and Sussman were just trying to get ahead of uh, news reporters uh, and give them the scoop to the FBI or, or something to that effect. And it's like, wait a minute, you're the ones that gave it to the news reporters in the first place. Like, it's it's ridiculous. I, everybody should take a look at Techno's piece. It's it's outstanding. And he, he words it a lot better than I just did. But um, yeah, I, I, I think mean, that I think they want to get Joffe immunity. So they can put him on the stand and he can vouch for the information and, and basically uh, tell the jury that, look, this was worth looking into. You know what a crook Trump was. We knew it, too. And this had to be looked at. And, uh, you know, Joffe could somebody like Joffe could turn this into a political case. Well, I think like David Dagan and maybe Manos, if he turns two, that should be sufficient. I mean, Joffe has shown no, no willingness to cooperate at all. As of, as of his testimony in the Alpha Bank case on February 14th in his deposition, he said, no, I've refused all interview requests with John Durham. And, you know, he's pretty clear, like he doesn't want anything to do with it. And I, I mean, the point that I, I've seen, you know, a lot of people say, well, Joffe's going to flip. And I'm like, no, I, I don't think no, he no. can because no. S- he, Sussman he did too much wants, wrong. <laughs> Sussman wants him immunized yeah. or the case bit dismissed. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you see that as a real possibility, though, especially if they're, uh, you know, in this non-criminal conspiracy as Dermot's laid out? I mean, is there any any consideration that that could actually take place where the case would be dismissed without Joffe? They tried to do that in uh, the... The Chauvin Michigan case, right? Whitmer kidnapping case. Yeah, that and, too. And and they, the judge said no way, and there's not a lot of good authority to do that, even less in a case like this. Their their only argument is all the statutes of limitation have passed, and there's no way Jaffe can be charged, and even even a D.C. judge will know that's not the case. I thought that was another interesting point that I, I had noted as well. I mean, Joffe, it seems really desperate in their in what their <laughs> argument is like, well, it's past the statute of limitations. And then Durham's like, no, no, it's not at all. There's actually <laughs> some criminal statutes that do apply here. And like, that's got to send a, a shiver down the spine. If they were really sincere in thinking like their client's out of the woods. No, he, like he's very much still on the hook for this thing. And I, I, I was going to ask you, I mean, 
we, we've talked a lot about conspiracy, and that's going to be a five-year statute of limitations from the last overt act by any conspirator in the conspiracy. But, I mean, are there other... I, I understand that fraud is a, is a predicate offense for the conspiracy, but as far as other fraud statutes, is there anything else out there, or is it all pretty much within the realm of conspiracy that, that's in the what's possible to be charged here? After the non-government people, uh, there are some overt acts, but they're not. Remember, you had Jones, Dan, Daniel Jones, yep. and running around trying yeah. to convince. And for listeners, that maybe, maybe I'll just frame that up for the listeners that aren't aware of that. So when we're talking about overt acts, that that's not necessarily a criminal act. But um, in the case for Rodney Joffe and some of these others, um, the reference that he just made to Daniel Jones is one where Daniel Jones was, um, I don't know if you'd say hired, but he worked on behalf of the Senate Intel Committee, I believe, where uh, he was supposed to reanalyze these allegations around the Alpha server. And in the course of Daniel Jones's work, he actually ended up going right back to Rodney Joffe and this team of researchers, and Joffe was providing them all, all this different data and information for his analysis. So it, it's a true, like, just inexplicable moment that somebody needs to explain how the original source of the, of the data ends up being the person that corroborates everything for the, the supposedly independent investigator. Like, it's, it's insane. But I think in the course of that investigation that Daniel Jones ran, that goes into 2018, uh, you know, there should be some overt acts that you could point to for Rodney Joffe, providing certain data points and information and, and kind of leading that investigation towards a certain outcome that he wanted. Sorry, I just wanted to frame that up because people might not have known about that. About yeah, and, and what all he was telling the government, I don't know. Uh, he was producing reports that was trying to hang on to the Alpha Bank uh, Trump server uh, back channel hoax. And uh, so he didn't give it up. Joffe didn't give it up. So it, and Durham, or rather Sussman's brief on that point did say that uh, one of Durham's lawyers alluded to some ongoing activity with in, involving the Yoda phone allegation that uh, that he, he used the word percolating that Yoda phone story percolated amongst government agencies for a while yeah I, I thought that was pretty interesting that's pretty vague but um, I guess one point that I, I've been curious about is which members of Congress did Joffe end up connecting with? And, and maybe they've tried to funnel some of those allegations through um, other government officials to try to, try to keep that alive. I mean, it's pretty clear they're really desperate. As, as of February, I mean, Joffe's trying to go back to the CIA through Sussman to kind of uh, reignite some interest in the Alpha Bank server allegations. And then, like, I think the timing's right where it's a week later after he goes to the CIA, the pings start again, 
when the pings had stopped in September 2016, then all of a sudden a week after Joffe goes to the CIA, they start again. Like it's it's ridiculous. Like that everybody should be raising their eyebrows. Like wait a minute, come on now. Like that's just it's just silly. And the idea that Trump would need a secret comm server as president of the United States when he's got so many you know encrypted communications available. I mean, it's, the whole thing is just ridiculous. But and there's Walker, another. There's another element of that that uh, we don't know enough about, and that is to what extent did Jaffe and his team uh, access uh, uh, government contract information that they shouldn't have that would have been a breach of the contract to pull that data and misuse it, or to what extent did Jaffe and them, you know, break the, uh, in effect, hack somebody's computer. Yeah, I think that was one point I was going to ask you. I mean, the statute of limitations on, like, government contract fraud, is that five years as well, or is that a little bit longer? Off the top of my head, I assume it's five years, but they don't know. Okay. But, but again, we don't know what these people did after February. Right. Because Durham hadn't alleged anything. Yeah. We do know that a conspiracy continued well after that, but it was largely the inside the government people. Well, I'll, I'll jump in here real quick, too. Um, and for some reason, my computer is running slow, so I can't pull up the actual motion for whatever reason. Um, but I did notice when I was reading it, you know, it doesn't necessarily, uh, it doesn't say the Yoda phone allegations percolated through other agencies. It says other branches of government. So yes. You think branches, that's Congress and, uh, the judicial branch, you know, you can think, okay, does that mean it was this Carter Page's phone? And is this was this being used for the FISA applications renewals? That could be part of it. It could be the um, getting Daniel Jones hired on as the uh, to work for the the Senate committee because um, that's on the legislative side. Um, but it's not necessarily just executive branch agencies that that this percolated through. Um, I I wouldn't doubt if um, if this all ends up going back into the FISA applications or the FISA renewal applications, um, which I think would be pretty interesting. Um, and then also going back, I was going to make a point a little bit ago as well of, you know, we, we, we look at this and we talk about, you know, if only Baker had known that he was coming on behalf of Clinton. And I think, you know, the Joppy aspect is, is huge. You know, remember shadow brokers had just popped up about a month before this. Um, and so there was a lot of, um, internal turmoil about insider threats with the NSA, what was going on, where is this coming from? Um, all these these leaks and everything relate very closely to New Star and, and, and their uh, relationship with the government. Um, and so I think, you know, it's hard not to solely focus on the Clinton campaign being the client that, that Sussman lied about, but Joffe as well. And then 
So you've got these two things happening all during election season. The DNC has been hacked at the same time that Joppy's company's uh, line of business is being um, hacked and, and, and leaked and, and thrown out into the public. And so that's a ton of information that would be very relevant, not just to opening or closing a case, but what other open cases do we already have that this would be related to? Um, you know, there's a, a, a text from, from Peter Stroke, which there's a redaction, but it's probably Mike Sussman um, and Lisa Page on, on September 19th says, hey, you know, the DD, the, the Andy McCabe, wanted to know what Blank was calling about. And, and Stroke says, oh, that's not our flaming bag of turds or something like that. You know, um, it's, it's a flaming bag of turds, but it's not ours. It's not relevant to us, which I think goes to show that they weren't making that connection of this could all tie in together to everything we're looking at. That same day on the 19th, I think Baker and, and Stroke went to go talk to the uh, DOD inspector general, Glenn Fine. And so they're going to talk about an insider threat in the Department of Defense at the same time that uh, Jaffe is secretly, you know, sending his his uh, attorney to go talk to the FBI about these this data. That's hugely relevant. That's hugely material. And just because Durham's not putting that into his filings and, and Sussman's trying to figure out if that's what he's talking about or not, um, I hope we get to find out, you know, in a glorious unveiling in the middle of a trial. But, uh, I mean, I, there's so many possibilities here, it's hard to say that his lie was not material. The, uh, there's one one more legal point I want to bring up. Uh, it's a cautionary point. As we've already remarked, the crime that Sussman is charged with is a simple one count of lying to or making a false statement to uh, the FBI. That's Baker. And that false statement was material. So you've got two elements, false statement, knowing false statement, and materiality. I'd say 80%, 90% of Durham's evidence is not going to address the false statement issue. It's going to address the motive, the story, the, the why did he do it? What, what did he hope to gain by making a false statement? Uh, and tangentially, a lot of it, it goes to materiality. Uh, one problem Durham as prosecutor may face is, and I don't know Judge Cooper, but a lot of federal judges would tell a prosecutor, you've got to narrow your case. This one, you're going to, you risk confusing the jury. And two, it's, it's, you're looking at a lot of cumulative evidence here that I'm not going to let you say it over and over and over again. Uh, you know, shorten your presentation. Durham could be facing a reaction like that. Uh, 
That's that's very true. I'm I'm very curious to see. You know, I'm sure we won't see. You know, uh, more than just a tiny sliver of all this discovery that he's been declassifying in order to turn over to Sussman. Um, but that sort of stuff, I would think, is going to relate to. You know, not something that Sussman would have known otherwise. Um, it's not that his conversation with Baker was necessarily classified. Um, it's going to be, hey, here's all the stuff we were doing in the background. Not necessarily even, hey, here's your 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 motive, which I think is important. But again, it's materiality as well that we want to focus on. And look at how much this screwed everything up because you lied. And whether they were declassifying all, you know, these you know thousands and thousands of documents to just bury them in discovery so they don't quite know where they fit in i I don't know i've i've never uh, been a part of a trial like this one before um but i'd be very curious to see what what we learn uh come trial time i think that's a question i had um kind of an offshoot of that i mean there's hundreds of thousands of pages of discovery i mean when the defense puts on its case, can they just start drawing this out and just go for weeks and start breaking down? I mean, they have a, they can pretty much do anything. I mean, if they want to bore the, the jury to death with hundreds of thousands of pages of, worth of documents or evidence and, and kind of go through why they think it's exculpatory, can they do that? Or can the judge kind of step in and start limiting some of that? The judge at some point could do that if, if, particularly if it gets the sense that the uh, lawyer for one side or the other is uh, uh, just intentionally trying to confuse things and, uh, and is in fact confusing the jury and, and putting in superfluous or redundant evidence. So, a judge could take control. I don't see a Sussman defense lawyer do, trying to do that. They're going to be sharp and hard hitting with any exculpatory evidence they can uh, pinpoint. You know, I guess one one piece that I found kind of compelling uh, that Sussman attorneys were, were kind of arguing, um, I think last week maybe, they were saying you know, we, our client brought this allegation to the FBI and, um, you know, it really wasn't material because they never followed up. Like they never asked him any more questions. They never reached out and tried to, to get more information. I mean, is there anything there that merits like a, an argument or is it more, um, I guess, I can't really flush out, like, is there, is there something there? Is there a hook that the defense can actually use where, you know, the FBI really wasn't interested? They were going to do whatever they're going to do. They'd kind of already made up their minds or, you know, maybe the FBI was really gung-ho. Like, they were just waiting for this information and we didn't have to, we didn't have to prompt them. Um, so if, 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 I'm a, our... if, if, if I'm a defense lawyer here, uh, one, they, they've, they've made that argument to the judge in their motion to dismiss. 
He has not ruled on it yet, but they've done the best they can uh, characterizing it as as uh, worthy of dismissal. Uh, legally, they shouldn't win that because that's a jury issue. To the jury, it's it's uh, it's more attractive argument. You just tell the jury, look, what we presented was so compelling on its face, they had to investigate. There was no yes or no to it. There's no, regardless of who the client was, it made no, no sense for them not to look at it. Uh, so that's why who the client was, client could have been Godzilla. Didn't matter. They had to look at it. It was real data. That's, and that's going to be their pitch. It's real data. It's so compelling, so suggestive that something might be wrong. Somebody needs to look. We're not saying anything's wrong. We're just saying this needs to be looked at. And the FBI obviously agreed because they looked at it. So that's how they pitch the materiality issue. And they keep it simple. Simple that a jury could understand. Yeah, the problem with that is why did Sussman lie about it three in three separate instances? I mean, that, that's got to be Durham's rebuttal, right? Is, all right, so you lied about who you were working for in the text message. You lied in Baker's office, and then you lied to the CIA about who you worked for. If it didn't matter, you wouldn't have done that, right? But it's, it's not a rebuttal. Durham gets to go first. And he's going to tell the story about not only why he lied, how it fits in with the creating a narrative and what the campaign wanted to do and did do with it. And that's something, all of that is something the FBI needed to know, would have liked to have known before they started, before Sussman left Baker's office. Actually, so Durham will have painted that entire picture before Sussman even starts with his defense. Uh, uh, in fact, the, the defense is going to be cross examining some of the FBI people about, well, you'd have looked at this anyway, no matter who the client was. That's that's the theme they're going to play. That's good stuff. I mean, does anybody else want to jump in with any, any thoughts you have? Fool, you have? Fool, I don't think you've spoken too much, or walk a fire if you have any thoughts, certainly. Um, for listeners, if you have any questions as well, if you want to request to speak, I think we'll be happy to take a few questions at least. I'm still trying to figure out this whole Yoda phone thing. <laughs> I, they keep talking around it, but it keeps coming up. I'm, 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 
so curious to hear more about it. I just I, I hope we get to either in some more filings or, or in the trial. I don't know if anyone else has any um, insights or thoughts um, from these latest documents that, that they may have picked up on. I mean, when was the first time it actually showed up in the court documents? It it came out in the New York Times article, right? And then, I mean, when when did it actually show up in the court filings, though? That's a good question. <laughs> I feel like it was maybe that... I think Durham had that big motion where they got admonished for it later. Maybe that was the first time, and he was kind of going off on a tangent about, you know, the spying on the on the White House was the big story out of that fight. Yeah, that it was that motion where the whole EOP thing came out. I'm pretty sure when that's yeah. when it really surfaced yeah. again. That was that was the conflict issue, right? I believe. In my <laughs> like, I guess. I guess you expanded on this before, Ryan, but they kind of used like, I mean, um, Sussman was meeting with with uh, with Dan Jones a lot uh, on behalf of Joffe. And then I guess Dan Jones figured out that Joffe was his client because he could probably search images of, of Rodney Joffe. But how many I, I can't remember how many times Dan Jones was interviewed by the FBI. It was three times, right? Walk of fire. I'm pretty sure. But it seems like that's like another route that they're trying to sneak in whatever the hell they had to the FBI, because that could be another overt act. And that could almost be illegal because they knew that uh, it, it, it reminds me of of them uh, switching Steele's handler to to Bruce or to Priestap. They're basically hiding, hiding who that information was coming from. Again, I, I would like to. That's why I just want to say I, I would like to see Dan Jones's 302s. I would love to see what the hell he was talking about in three of his FBI interviews. If he mentioned Sussman, yeah. if he if he did any of that. But I mean, Walker Fire, you think there's probably three interviews of him, if I remember correctly? I think there's three. I mean, we know everyone knows about the the March twenty eighth, twenty seventeen. Um, that one was in in Nunez's memo, I believe. Um, right, and then. Um, we've seen references to it in some of these text messages and stuff that come out. Um, and then the other two are just uh, deductions, but they all they seem to fit. Um, yep. And I believe that was in uh, May and June, I think, of 2017. Yeah, so that sounds about right. And that's when that's when he was meeting with the Senate. Uh, armed services dude so i mean that can yeah push up the conspiracy right so well yeah, like it was april, i would imagine it probably did april and may um of 2017 were his other two yeah. likely his other two well right. someone had to get in dan jones ear and tell him hey you need to go talk to rodney joffe that, and that that's... couldn't have been joffe so like somebody, well, the Senate, Senate well, it was that. it was uh, McConnell in the Armed Services, I think, right? Yeah, that's a good, well, that's a good point. That and I mean, and then also fusion. I mean, even in um, one of those text message releases, yeah. 
Um, we even see one where there someone texts Stroke and says, "Hey, I, I'm I'm meeting with Fusion GPS's current client today, and and they want to give us you know the latest." And I mean, it's it's just it's so incestuous. Big time. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll open it up for questions. I got a foot, pretty full chat. I'm I'm happy to see got 200 people coming. Um, oh, 200, anybody, yeah. Yeah. If anybody wants to request to speak or, or ask a question or have a comment, go ahead. I mean, we'll keep it is open it, for a while. Is this Twitter heaven, Ryan? Is this is this what heaven's like? I mean, this is pretty. I'm, I'm, have you get executed? <laughs> I really appreciate everybody coming. Otherwise, I thought it was gonna be pretty lonely here tonight. Yeah. All right. I guess we'll have uh, that was bullshit, by the way. questions. Yeah, I, I, I still don't know what happened. I'm trying to figure Hopefully, it out. I pretty uh, much have an idea. Yeah, I think a, it's pretty it's obvious. A weird situation. But nobody's really admitting it directly to me if they want to do that. I've asked, the, I've asked, the, I think, the, the perpetrator, but he doesn't want to sting me. <laughs> I, I piss a lot of people off. It, it could be a lot of people, so we'll see. True. Uh, All right, well, I got to bounce. I need some dinner, but it was fun on here. See you guys later. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. This is great. Thanks for coming, fool. Absolutely. Hello. Hey, Durham, what's up? Hey, uh, I was wondering what anybody thinks about tomorrow's uh, privilege filing by Durham that's due. Yeah, so I, I think we talked about that uh, a bit, and that's going to be important. Um, maybe King can jump in. I, I don't know that it'll be a public filing or not. Or King, maybe you said it might be. Um, yeah. Know, it, hopefully it, we get the... I, I, it will be a public filing. Durham may ask that... Um, the judge review the putative uh, privilege documents he's talking about in camera. That means non-publicly by the judge only to make a call as to whether they are in fact privileged. Uh, just based on the filings so far, this largely appears to be an effort by uh, the Clinton campaign, and perhaps Jaffe too, and Fusion GPS to characterize everything they were doing with Perkins Coie as work product. Remember, this came up in the uh, UK litigation involving steel. Uh, the uh, the campaign and Perkins Coie called the money that was going, flowing through Perkins Coie into Fusion and into these other contractors as uh, being done in anticipation of litigation in case there's a uh, election litigation after Hillary lost. So they're, in essence, purporting to be gathering evidence to use in that kind of uh, litigation. 
That doesn't fly. That's not going to fly with a judge when he sees Durham's evidence about going to the reporters and uh, putting together the narrative and that sort of thing. That's not work product. Uh, and it can't be privileged because, because third parties like Fusion, who's not a client, are being copied on everything. Gotcha. Hey, could, um, do you know if uh, Clinton's FEC uh, like fine or agreement, is that going to affect anything to do with the privileges? Yes, that, that goes to, to the heart of the issue of whether this was, in fact, uh, work product in anticipation of litigation. It's not. It was uh, creation of opposition research they would use in the campaign. I mean, it's so it's so transparent how desperate they are. We had that note the other day, days are kind of running together, where Clinton campaigns trying to assert privilege over communications with Joffe that they're not even CC'd on. Like that's just that's just crazy town, and um, they're so desperate to hide whatever's in those documents. They're, I think they know the game is up, and I, I'm curious to see what happens. You, you'd kind of think like somebody's going to start resigning. We have Jake Sullivan's obviously in government. That would be incredibly embarrassing. I mean, if I was Joe Biden, I would probably think about asking him to resign. Like, I don't want him to be indicted when he's sitting like in your in your cabinet. Like, that's that's worse. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Durham will get that far far or not. But it, that is a name that keeps coming up is Jake Sullivan. So, be interesting to see what happens. I got a question. I got a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. No, you can go ahead. Well, I was just going to uh, real quick reiterate that those FEC filings that came out last week, uh, just for anyone that didn't know, uh, the Clinton campaign had to pay a pretty hefty fine for funneling money to Perkins Coie claiming it was legal work when in fact it was campaign dirty tricks money. And, uh, so they, they can't play that card that this, no, no, we're all just, you know, having legal defense cooperatively or whatever, or whatever. They've literally just had to pay a fine because it was proved that that was not what was going on. Well, I keep making this point. I, I apologize if people have heard me make it before. Gary Gensler, the current head of the SEC, was the CFO of the Clinton campaign. And there's not been a whole lot of focus on him, but he is the one that was signing off on the on all these accounting issues where, you know, he is not allowed to just pay invoices. He needs to know what these invoices are for. So when they get Perkins Coy invoices, he needs to know what those line numbers are for. And that's actually a really common area where people push back against lawyers because lawyers like to bill uh, pretty aggressively sometimes. So you, you go line by line and you say, hey, what did you do? And, you know, if they have like confidential projects, uh, is a term that they have, we've seen, I think, from the indictment, uh, where it was described as like a confidential project. No, you, you can't just pay that as a CFO. You need to know exactly what that is. And um, kind of as, a, as an extension of campaign finance laws, I mean, he's got to face some accountability. He's, he's got to 
he's going to have to be put in the chair and say, you know, you're signing off on, on checks. You know, you're having these conversations with John Podesta. What did you guys talk about? Like, you you have to review the budget. You have to review the financials. You know, how did, how did this get away from you? Or, or, you know, how much do you know about paying Fusion, Fusion GPS? And what did you know about the substance of the dossier that you were paying for? Sorry, Monsoor, I, I think I jumped in on you, but go ahead if you want to. No, actually, that was good because I, I just read, I think, today that who's that attorney, uh, Turley, John Turley, or is that his first name? Um, he was talking about this SEC stuff, these fines and how this could be like another kind of like another brick um, in a common scheme type type scenario. Um, my question, though, speaking of common schemes. Uh, goes back to, you know, like the beginning of why Durham was appointed was initially looking into like crossfire, right? And crossfire opening and just crossfire stuff before the whole focus shifted to like the Hillary scheme. And so I have a question for, uh, for King and really for anyone who wants to speculate on this because it gets kind of more theoretical, but I'm wondering what people think about if and when um, FBI principals ever or f other government principals get charged and or drawn into the Durham case. Um, do we think they will be combined under the umbrella of a common scheme with Hillary team? Or I think, uh, I don't know who it was, maybe King or someone was talking about the potential for, you know, Durham to kind of be charging multiple uh, separate uh, conspiracies. Um, and then like as a third part of that same question, I've also heard it brought up, I think Hans might have mentioned this somewhere, that the fact that maybe you're making a case that there was a common scheme to defraud the FBI kind of gives the FBI perhaps um, a little bit of wiggle room, as it were, you know, to kind of argue a defense such that, hey, like we were just fucking duped. Like, what do you want us to do? I'm not buying that. Um, but also, I don't know what the odds are that that FBI elements could be charged like uh, in a common scheme. Like, would we have to show communications for that between those two parties or or what? And what do people think about that? Let me let me start. I think. Uh... It would be difficult to tie the FBI people into a common scheme with, say, the Hillary campaign. You would have to show communication, coordination, and an agreement of some kind. Maybe bribes, maybe quid pro quos of some, of some nature that would put those two groups together into a single conspiracy. Uh, it, the easier case is two separate conspiracies, one by what I call the outside, the government actors, that would be Hillary, Fusion, Steele, Jaffe, and others, to uh, frame Trump and his associates by submitting false evidence to the FBI and other agencies. Uh, a second conspiracy would be by inside the government actors 
to basically def defraud the uh, the uh, institutions of government, including the FBI, the FISA court, uh, Congress, etc., uh, to either cover up what had gone on before or to uh, do things like renew the FISA warrant, etc. It'd be crazy if there was two separate yet parallel conspiracies operating towards nearly the same goal, but yet unconnected. That just hurts my brain. Yeah, but it would be. I guess if if it's if it's two separate conspiracies, they'd be tried in two separate cases. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that would be much easier to prove. Obviously. Cool. Thanks for the answer. <clears throat> Did you guys notice how uh, Clinton's filing admitted no fault, no wrongdoing? She just said uh, she was paying the fine in order to avoid the cost of future litigation. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be pretty standard, right? I mean, Clinton Clinton knows her way around uh, around fines and and legal issues. <laughs> she, you know, she's she's going to have her lawyers draft up the right language and and put it in there, and you know public relations team, um, you know, she's got that down pretty, pretty well by this point. Willie, what's up, man? You want to speak tonight? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, what's up, man? Okay, so I don't know, I was just looking at this, uh, um, but was it the... Well, they said, he said that the Yotaphone related allegations and percolating through various branches of the government and around the private sector after that date, um, that certain fraud statutes have longer than a five year limitations period. Uh, and so I've been looking at statute of limitations, and the only one I can find which well, there's quite a few, but they involve murder and stuff like that. But but the one which sticks out, which has a seven-year statute of limitations, is 18 U.S. Code 1031, which is major fraud against the United States. And it's all about in any grant, subcontract, contract, subsidy, whatever, with the the government and I wonder whether that is the statute of limitations that they're using or hoping to use with a uh, Joffe but this actually uh, by him using uh, their contract or their subcontract and using that data wrong is what's allowing Durham to extend that what we always thought was uh five-year statute of limitations to seven years which because otherwise it doesn't make sense if we've if we've gone past february when he goes to the cia where agency two then that's beyond five years so I, i'm trying to pass how we <clears throat> what they said about this certain types of fraud and I've looked through a lot of 
Viva stuff, Viva frauds, and it's all bank fraud, etc., or post wartime fraud. That's the other one. But there is one USC 18 USC 1031, which is major fraud against the United States, and that has seven years statute of limitations. So, um, and I've yeah. been looking at that, that document for years now, since 2018, uh, February, because that was a five-year statute of limitations of when Hillary left uh, the State Department. So, but that's the only one I can find. Yeah, and I'll certainly ask King to, to step in on that. But I think it's important to point out, I mean, if we're talking about a conspiracy case, and I think at this point with Durham alleging that um, he's going to prove like a non-criminal conspiracy at this point where they're working in concert towards a common goal, if there's any more crimes, I mean, he's going to have a criminal conspiracy case. And, and at that point, the five-year statute of limitations runs from the last overt act by anyone in the conspiracy. So as we just pointed out, I mean, the, the, jo the Jones investigation on behalf of the Senate where he's working with Joffe and that's 2017 and 2018 that's going to extend the five-year statute of limitations and and I don't have like a singular event to point to but like I, I feel comfortable enough that there's something there that um, probably would extend that and then one last point before I throw it to King I mean I don't know much about that statute but it would be kind of interesting if that came into play um, not so much on what they were doing with Newstar and Georgia Tech, but I was actually thinking about the OPM hack. And uh, my understanding, and, and I haven't read this lately, but my understanding is that's where Joffe actually got the, the contract to monitor the, the White House data was after the OPM hack in 2015. And that would potentially fall within seven years. And he, if he was abusing that contract um, to spy on, on President Trump or to gather derogatory information, that would seem to be um, perhaps in that parameter. But uh, King, if you want to jump in, go ahead. Um, Willie, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that, uh, that particular contract statute. Uh, but I know that since we first learned about Jaffe, I've been scratching my head, talking to people, trying to come up with a theory whereby he could be charged with government contract fraud. And so far, nobody's articulated a viable case against him, um, not, not a criminal case. So I'm not sure that's where Durham is going. Maybe if, if he's got evidence we don't know about, it's possible. Uh, the more likely avenue would be Conspiracy with overt acts happening within the past five years, including dealings with Daniel Jones, maybe dealing with Congress, uh, maybe uh, another thing we haven't talked about is uh, the Georgia Tech group's work with the DOJ in uh, in producing uh, attribution, enhanced attribution work to prove up a criminal case, including 
Hal Martin, including the Russians. Did they, did they cook the books there to try to point the finger away from who actually did it? Don't know. We need facts. But those are the kind of events that could lead to a criminal case being filed after f- five years after February 2017. That That's a great point, King. That it, That is something that we haven't talked about at all tonight, certainly. And if anybody is listening and they're, they're confused about what we're referencing, uh, Margot Cleveland has some outstanding articles over the last couple of weeks on this, but basically we, we've been obtaining FOIA documents, Margot and and I think I've gotten a couple documents too, where um, these Georgia Tech researchers, they weren't just involved with this Alpha Bank server allegation. They were actually, to some extent, involved with analyzing um, the GRU. And we believe that is in connection to the, the hack of the DNC. It, it is not conclusively known at this point. Um, but we have FOIA documents where Monos is, is much more concerned about being uh, associated with attribution than he is with the, the alpha server stuff, which is pretty much known to be a hoax by this point. So um, for whatever reason, Monos is more concerned about that, and I'll, I'll just take him at his word for it. I mean, maybe there's, if he's concerned about it, I'll be concerned about it too, and, and hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about um, exactly what they were up to. He, sa- he says in FOIA documents that he believes he was tasked by the uh, DARPA organization, which is a part of the Department of Defense, to look at Guccifer 2.0, who was the uh, moniker who released the documents stolen from the DNC. Uh, DARPA came out in response to Jerry Dunleavy a couple weeks ago, and they completely denied that. And they said, no, we had absolutely nothing to do with that. And uh, a lot of evidence out there. So again, if you're, if you're curious about that, if you haven't heard about that, uh, Margot Cleveland has some great articles. You should definitely go check those out. All right. So anything else from our main speakers or anybody else want to come in and ask questions? Go ahead. All right, guys. Well, I mean, we don't have to go all night. Um, I really appreciate everybody coming. I can, uh, I can go ahead and end it here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen as far as, uh, Twitter goes and everything else, but, um, if nothing else, I'll probably plan to continue hosting chats on this call-in app and, uh, you can come or, or not come. I, I don't know exactly which days those will be on. Maybe, maybe I'll try to make that a regular thing on Thursdays here. And, um, I'm sure people will be doing stuff on Twitter too. So, um, everybody should have some, uh, some resources to have some fun and, uh, uh, especially as this develops more. I mean, the, I think it's going to be really fascinating, and I'm certainly going to want to listen to everything I can I can listen to. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be on Truth Social. I'm already on there. If you guys are on there, go ahead and hit me up. And uh, if you guys have any questions, always, always happy to interact with people. So, oh, got a caller. Uh, Daniel, what's up, man? Hey Ryan, uh, I just had a quick question. Um, are you will you be active on your website? 
<laughs> uh, the the yeah. form you put up. Yeah, I, I can be. So I bought the domain sluicecorner.com and I was building out a website with the help of MB. And then we kind of got sidetracked. And then I think somebody had the idea of building out a site kind of kind of for us, I guess. And um, I don't think that really advanced too far. But I, I do have a forum up right now, uh, sluice, sluicecorner.com slash forum. And it's a really basic kind of plug-in template. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to interact on there, I'm absolutely all, all about it. Um, I'll be sure to check in on there and uh, yeah, interact with each other, start threads, do whatever you want on there. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, man. Hope, hope you're doing well. Yeah, you too, bro. I'm uh, glad to see you're uh, you still uh, at least a little bit enthusiastic about the future. <laughs> I'm enthusiastic, man. I'm having a good day. I, I, uh, you know, Twitter stuff sucks, but I'm I'm really excited about what John Durham's doing, and I really appreciate everybody coming here tonight. And you know, I get to continue interacting with everybody and learning from everybody here. So I'm I'm really excited. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, Kelly, what's up? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Kelly, I'll try that again. Or fear, either one of you. Hey, Kelly, what's up? Sorry, guys. It can be a little uh, little hard to accept. Yeah, Kelly, what's up? I apologize. I haven't used this before. Yeah, this no may problem. be. A, thank you. This may be a dumb question, but what is the likelihood of any criminal charges being brought against anyone? Against who? Anyone in this whole charade. Well, is, I, is that kind I guess of where in my opinion, they're, they're pretty high. Okay. Yeah, so Sussman's been indicted for one one charge. Uh, Durham has stated in filings that he is still under criminal investigation. And I think it's pretty clear at this point that Rodney Joffe uh, has a lot to worry about. I don't want to predict that mm -hmm. he'll be indicted, but um, I could certainly, I would not be surprised if Joffe um, was indicted. Um, right. There's some other people with, with some legal liability out there as well. Um, if anybody else has any thoughts on that, Walkfire MB, go ahead and jump in. Right. And this King, I think um, the most likely targets uh, next up would be people within the FBI and maybe the DOJ. Uh, if, if not a grand conspiracy, at least uh, a, uh, a false statement charges in connection with lying to the FISA court in the renewals. You got the last renewal was June 29th. So your five-year 
statute would be up this coming end of June. So he's got between now and then if he wants to bring a simple case against the FBI. There, there are overt acts in a, uh, to support a conspiracy case um, involving that conduct uh, that go way past June. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I'll piggyback onto that one too, as far as the the outsider track, the Hillary team versus the inside track being the FBI team. Just remind people that um, Devin Nunes stated publicly like a handful of times that he had submitted multiple criminal referrals, um, one of which being like a uh, conspiracy to defraud, which probably goes to the FISA court, um, as well as I think like five to eight um, other just simple 1001 lying charges. Um, and I'm almost certain those are all for federal employees, like FBI employees, not not even like the private actors. So, and Nunes has been, you know, pretty on point um, as far as, you know, everything he's kind of put out. So I kind of put a decent, a decent amount of weight on that. So I'm looking forward to that too. To add to that, Cash Patel. To add to that, Cash Patel has recently uh, stated in public that there was some obvious monkey business that's classified, and we haven't seen it. But there was some obvious monkey business that he picked up in connection with the last FISA renewal, June 29th. Don't know who was involved. But that one was the one signed by Rod Rosenstein. I got my money to go in a different direction on uh, the guys from Fusion, uh, Simpson and is it Frisch? Um, they they're easy to fall off the radar screen, but they're so central to connecting uh, the Steel to the Jaffe to the Clintons that. I don't see how that and, and the statements they made in front of Congress and to God knows who else. I, I think those guys have some real exposure and uh, probably pretty good targets. hundred percent for sure. Yeah. And don't forget about like John Podesta out there. I mean, he, you know, under, under oath in front of Congress, he testified that he knew nothing about the, the steel dossier or, or what fusion GPS was doing until after the election. And, you know, we don't have evidence to the contrary that he definitely knew, but it's like, come on, dude. Um, if Durham can get like an inch deep into that, uh, with Mark Elias sitting right next to him as he was testifying about it, it's it's just ridiculous. I, I hope Durham can get that one. That, that should be a pretty easy one for him to get. I was sorry. I fumbled a little bit with this app, but, uh, one of the things that I don't think we touched on yet tonight that sort of stuck out to me in this latest filing is the role <laughs> and the attitude of uh, April Lorenzen. She seems to uh, basically outright, you know, she's she understands her role as to basically frame the Trump campaign. And she's outright saying it almost. So it's kind of like uh, I'm assuming Durham included all of that for a reason. Is she potentially looking at trouble? coming right from this case or this indictment, I guess is all. 
Yeah, I, I picked up a few things from April, but I, I got to be honest, I have to reread the, the filing. I was, I was I saw the conspiracy word, and I just keyed in on that, and uh, it was pretty late, and I worked a long day, so I, I haven't got a chance to really sit down and, and go through it, but um, from what I did pick up, yeah, I, I would agree with that. It, it sounded like, you know, April, April understood what was going on, or at least that's my interpretation, and uh, she, she was game. <laughs> She was, she was a gamer for it. My question is, speaking of April and maybe her associates, is who is the most likely target for having created these pings in the first place? That is, you know, started the spoof. My money's on Joffe, and that that really goes to his meeting with the – or him sending Sussman to the CIA in February because as I mentioned earlier, like I think the time, I think I have the timing, right? It was a week after he brought those allegations back to the CIA that the ping started again. And like, that's so ridiculous just on its face. It's like, come on, you predict, you know, there's this secret comms channel that's been dormant for months. And then like within a few days it, it starts up again. Um, that's just, that's just crazy. And um, that tells me, at least circumstantially, even if I have it backwards, I mean, uh, you know, he, he seems to have a, a role there. That, that seems to be circumstantial evidence that he, he knows how those pings are being generated. And I, there's also this point, and I, I haven't really gotten a chance to do research on it yet, but... Um, you know, I think Rob, um, drawing a blank on his last name, the, the IT guy, though, that's written about, written about this pretty extensively, uh, I have to reread a couple of his blog posts because, you know, um, you know people have gotten this kind of backwards sometimes, and I, I'm guilty of this too, where they think, like, Trump was pinging Alpha Bank, and that's not what was happening. Uh, these pings were incoming from Spectrum Health and... Alpha Bank to the Trump server, which was housed at Listrack, is my understanding, um, or wherever it was housed. And my understanding is, I mean, initially the settings were designed to block incoming traffic. And the inference that I draw from that, and again, I have to do a little more research on this, but it, it would require somebody to change the settings to permit incoming traffic, specifically from Alpha Bank and Spectrum Health, um, to kind of like attempt these lookups, it would be my understanding, um, and that that would require a more complex um, technical perspective. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I, uh, uh, going with that. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, sort of along those lines, you know, in in the uh, in the filing, uh, Manos was sort of performing this critical analysis of what they were doing, you know, and and being pretty critical about it. But at one point he suggested, you know, that that these pings could have been created by someone um, logging into two corporate web forms and having them each send, you know, uh, email requests to each other, basically. And it, it, I read that and I'm kind of thinking, does Manos know more that he's letting on? You know, is he actually describing something that actually happened? And, you know, I, I it immediately made me think of Lorenzen when he was saying that. Yeah, it sounded like they were brainstorming. 
just to backtrack, it, it's Iradarab. You can find him on Twitter, and he's a legit DNS expert guru. He was probably the first DNS expert that blew up the whole alpha thing. And he's like not a Trump supporter at all. It's nothing like that. And he's no politics involved. He was just like, no, nah, I do this for a living. This is bullshit. Uh, he's a great follow. And uh, he, he's got a website, too, that uh, he really breaks everything down if you want the techie shit. How do you spell that? How do you spell that name? That's a great question. E-R-R-A-T-A-R-O-B, maybe. Cool. Hey, uh, what do you guys think about uh, Sussman? Is he going to testify? That's a good question. Not if he's my client. (laughs) I mean... King, I mean, it's not even a question at this point that uh, he lied. So I think the only open question is materiality. And I I don't think Sussman has anything to say about materiality. I mean, anything he says, like, oh, I lied, but uh, the FBI should have known that I was lying or uh, the FBI was going to do this anyway. um, It's not going to sound good coming out of Sussman. So um, there's another... um, not so well known and kind of unspoken truth about lawyers. I've had lawyers as clients. I've sued lawyers and had them on the other side and on the witness stand. Lawyers make the worst clients and the worst witnesses. But you can't, a, a, from a, a, a trial lawyer's perspective, you cannot control them and you can't shut them up. So they, they end up hanging themselves. That's why if he's my client, he's not on the stand. Are there gonna are there gonna be any more hearings on materiality or is that basically up to the jury at this point? Uh, the judge has to rule on the pending motion to dismiss for lack of materiality. Assuming he denies it, then it's up to the jury. Do we have any sort of time frame on that already or is it sort of up in the air? He's he has it under advisement, which means it can come any day. Watch him pull a uh, Jed Sullivan and just dismiss the case. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, kind of a side note, and it's impossible to tell, but what do you think? How do you think the media is going to attempt to to spin this? I think they're just going to ignore it. Yeah, I mean, I, I hard to argue with that. I, I was happy to see CNN and some others actually put out articles today. And even um, New York Times, I think it was Savage, like the first half of his article was actually good. And then like he just took like a 180 back to his roots. Um and the second half is just horrible, so don't don't even bother wasting your time with that. But the first half was actually pretty on point, um, so I was pretty happy to see that. And that I mean, that's the first time that there's been like a major event in Durham's case, and like the media actually covered the next day. Seems like the last time, like they didn't even cover it for three days, and then they just wait for Fox News to get out over their skis. So, um, you know, as soon as the, if there is a conspiracy charged um, or Joffe is indicted maybe or, or something like that, 
they're not going to be hold. They're not going to be able to hold this back. I don't think. I mean, they have to. They have to start prepping people. I think. I I hope at least. Hey, uh, given that Sussman's phone, his message to uh, Baker was on his private cell phone. I'm surprised that we didn't, like you guys were saying earlier, I'm surprised we didn't see that or Durham didn't find it earlier. In other words, asking Sussman to produce any, you know, messages that he had with Baker. wonder why it took so long for that to come out. I was, yeah, I was thinking about, I think so. about that a little bit. And uh, one of the things that I noticed was that the, the little note in uh, Baker's notes basically word for word state what uh, Sussman said in the text message. And if I'm not mistaken, in the, in the filing, when the, the, you know, the phrasing of the lie originally came up, did it specify that, that it was taken from the notes or the text message? Because if it was just quoted, I could see everybody assuming it coming from Baker's notes, when in, in actuality it was coming from this text message that Sussman didn't even know that Durham had. Or maybe he did, I don't know. any ideas because that sounds pretty plausible this all these notes and their recollections are so shoddy it's bad enough already that's so key that those uh note takers took those contemporaneous notes though durham's filing about that was was fire <laughs> well you know i i i think the point was made earlier that it it seems pretty clear that they didn't have this at the time of the indictment this is something that developed later, and, and I'm, I'm really confused about that. I think I had the same first impression that Fool Nelson brought up earlier, where um, um, I, I lost my train of thought, but uh, I'll have to come back. <laughs> Completely lost what I was going to say. phone so i know fool is right away like can't be coming from the ig and that does i kind of agree with that because you know the ig doesn't have the power to as far as i know to actually seize the phone it would have to be voluntary voluntarily giving up and baker was leaving the do or the fbi right around that time like why would he you know oh hey you know what take myself and i don't need help then i'll never try to get it back that that seems odd yeah, and that, that reminds me what I was going to say. I mean, if you do official government business on your personal cell phone, that's still a government record. Like, you're still in, required to preserve that. But I did have the same thought that Fool Nelson had in that it doesn't, it doesn't seem right that Horowitz would have this personal phone, right? But it also doesn't seem right that Baker didn't offer up this phone sooner. And that, that seems like that would be the most likely scenario was that like Baker would offer this phone up immediately. Um, and that doesn't seem to happen. So it, it's kind of weird to think about like Baker and his personal cell phone, like went into the stash and like found it um, like six or seven months after he knew he was going to be a witness in this case. And then like produced it to Durham like that. That seems weird too. So whole thing seems I had sort of a uh, different thought on this, which maybe kind of uh, is pretty speculative. But uh, in that uh, early February filing, when Durham's explaining how he, he 
obtain this phone, uh, there was talk about an agent in the uh, IG's office. And I kind of wonder if if there was a particular agent in the IG's office that was sort of up to no good and was basically collecting these things and losing them in the bottom of the filing cabinet or something. And it was, uh, that was the agent that wrote up the excuse about the uh, teleconference where all the stuff was disclosed, supposedly, you know, that no one remembers. So I just, you know, it, it sounds like there was maybe a bad actor in the IG's office that could have done a lot of damage without the IG's knowledge. Hey, uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I don't think I remember that point specifically. The only thing I remember related to the IG was allegations that Joffe brought that a certain or certain IG employee uh, was seen in like open internet traffic uh, in some European chat room or something like that. That's the only thing I remember. If you. If, yeah, yeah I don't know else. if they were referring to the same employee or not, but basically this was uh, this was the employee, and they called it an agent uh, in the IG's office that uh, basically wrote up the excuse about the teleconference. So all that information about the teleconference basically was attributed to this particular agent, you know, and it seemed like he was <laughs> a dog ate my homework excuse kind of deal, and it's just... I don't know. It, it's maybe it's worth reviewing, but it uh, I, it was something that sort of stuck out to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to find that article tonight. That'd be interesting to review. So, in the uh, defense's filing, they mentioned that one person having immunity. Um, do you guys think that's one of the researchers? It seems to be David Dagan. I think that's actually like written out somewhere, or at least some write-ups about it um, seem to indicate pretty clearly that it is David Dagan. Anybody got anything? With you, which I encourage you to. Look at Ryan. Look at look at the uh, Georgia Tech uh, emails. Sort through them; they're available, and uh, you kind of get to know these guys, uh, Dagan, Manos, uh, Angelos, and you kind of get to know their personalities and match that up with what's in what's in the filings, and you kind of get to know you get an idea of who's probably going to play, <laughs> who maybe has exposure, who might be involved in things they shouldn't be more than others. And who maybe just is walking around blind and not, not seeing that uh, they're about to step on a rake. So it, 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 you know, we can all give our opinion on who we think did what, but it's good to do it for yourself. You can really get a sense of who these guys are. Good advice, as always. Speaking of getting hit by a rake, that's kind of the vibe of the uh, defense today. It seems like they got blindsided by this text message. Yeah, I, I think we talked about that earlier, right? I mean, um, I think it was Mansoor that made the point. Like, these guys, you know, they spent all this time writing up dozens of pages that are just completely fell on their face because they weren't responsive at all to what Durham was about to file. Um, and that goes to the point that Full Nelson was talking about earlier. Like, 
it seems like Durham would have had to turn over some discovery here on this text message and the defense should have known about that and they should have anticipated that and they would have crafted their filings completely differently. And I think that, you know, if they got the discovery on that and, and remember, you know, they do have like half a million pages or whatever of documents. So I hate to think that like they missed that, but um, man, that's, that's, it just, you know, doesn't look good for them. I, I, I was not impressed by any of their filings, especially after what Durham put. Yeah, it seems like Durham just kind of buried them in discovery, right? Maybe it was in there somewhere and they didn't find it in time. I hope not. Alrighty guys, um, I think I'm going to go ahead and end it here. I will certainly try to do these. There's big breaking news. Might might even do one tomorrow night, depending on what we get out of this privilege filing. And uh, if nothing else, I'll be around. So um, appreciate everybody coming tonight. Hope you had fun. And uh, find me on True Social whenever you, uh, whenever you get on there. So. Have a good night, guys. Thank you to everybody that spoke tonight. Thank you to everybody that asked questions and, and everything. I think it was, a, it was a good chat, and I was really excited to, to get everybody's thoughts on, on what Durham filed. I thought that was one of the more exciting nights that we've had in Russiagate so far. So I think we're getting close and uh, got a lot of interesting nights and hopefully a lot of interesting chats coming up. All righty, guys. I'm going to end it here. Later. When uh, Elon Musk takes over Twitter, maybe he'll let you back Elon Musk. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, guys.